Hey everybody, this is Ernie Johnson, and welcome to EJ's Game Plan. It's your guide to working in sports media. Today we'll be talking to James Brown, host of the NFL Today and Inside the NFL. Alrighty, well, you know what? This is all new to me. I know that my colleague, Theo Rabinowitz, offered to help me out with this, and I said, nah, I got it. Yeah, right. I'm being dragged into the 21st century with all of this, so assuming that you guys can hear me, and uh, you can tell I do not have the AC on in this library room here, um, let me see if I can see the first few questions, and uh, we'll go ahead and get started. But maybe before I even do that, let me... First of all, give uh, thanks to my guy, uh, Ernie Johnson, for even extending the invitation. I know he's had some excellent people on already. Uh, Brian Anderson, Ernie himself, my colleague uh, Seth Davis from uh, CBS. Um, so I'm hoping that I can do a good enough job in following their footsteps. And I know that we're, I guess Ernie is calling this his uh, EJ's uh, journalism school. And I can only hope that I'll have some pretty interesting stories to tell, and certainly some very substantive input to give you with respect to not only pursuing a career in uh, broadcast journalism, but in the game of life. I think I've been around long enough that I might be able to uh, offer that because all of that plays a role in this as well. Um, gosh, I even got a note from my good friend Jerry Madelon, formerly of uh, ESPN, one of the best uh, talent coaches around as well. And he had the nerve to tell me not to get nervous, but just to go do it. But you know what? You can tell I've been ripping and running because I didn't put any makeup on. So I hope this HD doesn't scare the daylights out of you who may be uh, watching this, uh, certainly without any uh, makeup and the like. Uh, the first question that was popped that popped up on my screen is, how do I see the upcoming NFL season going? And wow, that's going to be anybody's guess because we all know with the um, coronavirus pandemic that we are in the middle of right now, or in the midst of, I guess I should say, and the fact that um, there are to be no gatherings, certainly in our area of 10 people or more, that's going to push training camps, OTAs, and the like back significantly. And any coach will tell you that the valuable time that they spend reinforcing um, the game plan, the overall mission for a given team, getting to practice together so that the players can internalize all of that, and especially off of this free agency period, working in new parts, new players on the team. That is very critical time. And even with that, when it was in place, anytime you bring in new players, the first part of the season, I think Coach Bill Cower, my colleague at CBS, would say that you really don't know what kind of team you have through the first four weeks of the season uh, because everything is live. You're getting accustomed to uh, what all are looking to get done as a team. And uh, so it's it's a bit of a challenge to um, um, to offset that with the fact that you're going to be getting started so late. So it may even be longer into the start of the season. That seems to be a logical extrapolation from that, that it may take a while before teams really gel. Um, but these are professional athletes and those who understand that their bodies are tools, and as Troy Benson of the NFL would say, there's an expiration date on the time that you are playing in the game, in the National Football League. Um, they've got pride and they recognize that and they're putting in as much individual time as they can. But again, there's nothing like uh, teams getting together to do that. So I hope I answer that question in a very general sense. It's going to provide, I think, a lot more uncertainty um, as opposed to if the teams were able to engage in the uh, OTAs, uh, the team activities uh, during this offseason to try to get things together. I know Ernie wanted me to um, also start, as he did with all of his guests, I just kind of give it an overview of how I got into the business. And I think that the route that I took certainly was atypical, um, having, despite the size and girth that most of you see, um, that JB is looking to shake off as Bill Cower has already gotten on me to get back at it this offseason. Um, I played basketball. That was my um, sport that I played in high school at DeMatha Catholic High School in Hyattsville, Maryland. A phenomenal program academically and athletically. And by the way, um, our long-revered coach who was in the Naismith Basketball Hall of Fame, Morgan Wooten, passed away 
and uh, about, what, seven weeks ago, somewhere in that time frame, and I was very humbled to have been asked to take a part in that, um, that funeral mass by delivering the eulogy uh, for my high school coach. Just a phenomenal man who the likes of Red Auerbach and John Wooden, God bless them both, and others were saying um, was the finest coach that they've uh, known on any level. Um, so that was my sport. And uh, I was drafted by the Atlanta Hawks out of college in the fourth round. This is way back in the day, and Ernie Johnson can certainly relate to this, uh, because I was drafted by the Atlanta Hawks. Ernie might have been about two years of age when I was drafted then. Cotton Fitzsimmons was a coach, but the great Pete Maravich and Lou Hudson, uh, a lot of those guys were there uh, then. But uh, I was one of the last players cut and uh, started working in, um, in local government for about six months before I got the opportunity to go and work in corporate America at Xerox in sales and sales management. And about halfway through my career there, I got an opportunity to audition for an opening with the then-named Washington Bullets basketball team for their um, soon-to-be-vacant analyst job. Mike Reardon, who was a player on that team with Wes Unseld and Elvin Hayes and Phil Chenier and that group from back in that era, was uh, stepping away to devote more time to his uh, restaurant business. And uh, I went to audition for the job and was blessed to get the job. So that's how I got into the business and started adding on other responsibilities with uh, black entertainment television, doing black college sports, with uh, TVS, uh, doing track and field and so many other sports uh, before getting an opportunity to move into the broadcast arena full time with local TV in Washington at the CBS affiliate. And then ultimately coming to the attention of CBS as one of their extra announcers during the NCAA basketball tournament. Um, so that's how I got into the business. And I was doing all of that while still working um, at Xerox in corporate America and even with Eastman Kodak before making the radical switch into a broadcasting full time. So uh, that's how I got into the business. And it's been an absolute uh, wonderful ride. Um, since then, and I am extremely thankful uh, for all the opportunities that I've been given to work first in local television, as I mentioned with the CBS affiliate here, and uh, then going to CBS to work as an extra hand during the NCAA tournament, and finally getting an opportunity uh, spearheaded by Mr. Ted Shaker, who was the executive producer, one of four executive producers that CBS had back then to do some NBA work since I had done that locally anyway, as well as um, the opportunity uh, after a conversation with Mr. Shaker about what it would take to move into this business full time. And um, so that's what I've uh, been doing ever since. And it's been an absolute blast. And I'm loving the um, experiences that I've been getting, which are, are widespread doing, doing news, uh, doing entertainment, and of course, uh, doing sports. And it's my firm belief that once you have mastered the fundamentals of being a good broadcaster, whether you are play-by-play, -play, whether it's a studio host, whether it's a sideline reporter, um, etc., if you understand the mechanics of being a good broadcaster, good journalist, then you can cover any arena, if you will. And certainly we've seen a number of people. Ernie Johnson talked about it himself, how he started out as a news anchor. Uh, but again, having those fundamentals together, understanding the methodology associated with such, um, you could do that. So anyway, what would I tell my younger self? Hmm, great question. Um, my younger self, you know what? I was always one who sought input, constructive criticism. I didn't particularly like watching myself on tape back in the day, video, of course, or a DVD now. Um, but it was very helpful to critique myself to make certain that, as Jerry Madelon was just uh, advised me, JB, give me the eye contact, which, by the way, was the first bit of advice I got when I broke into broadcasting with the then-named Washington Bullets. Um, and with the Washington Bullets, my producer then, Sheldon Schimmer, the first bit of advice he gave me, which, Jerry, I was violating, he says, be believable, show eye contact, because if people see you, see your eyes, they see through to your heart, and they will trust you if they see genuineness and honesty there. And, by the way, for someone who is new in the business, they will bear with you through mistakes. 
And boy, did I have a ton of mistakes early on. But that advice that I was given certainly paid dividends for me because I'd like to think humbly that people saw that I was genuine. I was passionate about what I was doing, the sport. Um, I wanted to get better. I sought that kind of feedback uh, and input from people, and I implemented it, and that certainly did carry me through, and um, I'm very, very thankful for that as well, too. Hey, the next question that was asked of me is, what do I consider to be some of the fundamentals that someone might keep in mind as they're breaking into this environment? And I'm so sorry that I didn't have my fan, one of my good friends, Glenn Harris, whenever he would come over, he'd say, JB, you've got fans everywhere, meaning literal rotating blade fans, uh, because yours truly does perspire profusely. But some of the fundamentals that I would share with you actually are the same ones that apply to any pursuit in life, no matter what your job or your career pursuit is. As a matter of fact, I credit that to my days at Xerox when there were some very caring executives. I think about uh, Jay Nussbaum, I think about Barry Rand, and I think about Kent Amos, those guys specifically who spent the time to help us understand what the fundamentals were that we all had to internalize in order to be successful at Xerox. And quite frankly, it applies across the spectrum. And there were a number of them, but I called it the objective and subjective criteria for success. A fancy way of saying, hey, here's what you need to keep in mind. Under the objective, there was only one element criterion, and that is to be able to do the job that the performance appraisal calls for or the job description performs a calls for, perform it excellently. That was the only element under the subjective uh, objective category. Under the subjective category, there were a number of things that were unique to that environment, but quite frankly, I think apply across the board that one needed to keep in mind. Number one, good communication skills. And communication skills have three sub-points under them. One, uh, obviously being able to handle the king's English and uh, to have a wide vocabulary, descriptive. And the better your vocabulary, the better suited you're going to be for the wide range of opportunities that may be coming your way or that you're pursuing. Number two, writing skills. There are a dearth of good writers in this business. Writing is crucial. And quite frankly, I think that's across the spectrum. Um, and we don't get a chance to really exercise it as much as I'd like to because coming up the ranks working in local television, uh, I remember um, having to write my own copy uh, because you're doing virtually everything then. And, and, it, and it keeps alive a very necessary skill set. I remember Seth Davis commenting on his Twitter live segment that the only way to become a good writer is to write. And he reads a lot of um, uh, fiction now, as well as nonfiction. Um, but the the nonfiction, or rather the fiction, is really good because you get to experience what a good writer is. They're his or hers excellent skills. And the most important element under communication skills, listening. I heard Ernie answering some questions uh, from some of the folks who were tweeting in questions. Uh, asking, how do you ask just the right question? How do you come up with a unique question? Not really a prepared um, skill, if you will. Being a good listener will bring about you asking what is of natural curiosity to you as you're listening to the person you're interviewing. Everybody has a story, and it's our job to elicit, to pull out what that story is. And key to that is being an exceptional listener. And as you hear what that person is responding to your questions, it will automatically bring up the next question as you probe areas of interest. Key example, I remember when I broke in uh, at the network level. Uh, actually, this was when I was working for the Washington Bullets. And we were going out to um, do a game between the Bullets and the Los Angeles Lakers. Kareem Abdul-Jabbar was about to break yet another record, this one of Jerry West, the great Hall of Famer. And my producer wanted me to ask him about that impending record. And as I was asking Kareem the questions, it was abundantly clear. He didn't like talking about himself, his exploits. He wanted to talk about team. And all of his answers were with respect to that. And my producer kept saying, 
ask him about the impending record. When I did that, I got one, two, three, five word answers. However, because I had done my homework in reading about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar and what his interests were, uh, Robert Stack was a, um, was Robert Stack uh, uh, the guy who played in, um, in oh gosh, what was the movie? Um, the humorous movies. Uh, he had the white hair. Oh my gosh, should have come back to me. And he got a chance to star with him or co-star with him in uh, a movie that Kareem played in. And when I asked him about his movie star, and it might have been Robert Stack, the biggest smile came on his face. And he opened up. He was effusive in his answers. And I'm thinking, well, it doesn't take a mental giant to see that's the route that I needed to go. Besides, it was sharing more about Kareem than he normally would. My producer got back in my ear and he says, go back to the question about the impending record. And when I did, because I'm doing the business, Kareem went back to giving me one, two, three, five word answers. So I learned then it is most important because what's of interest to your interviewee is going to be of interest to you and the viewers or the listeners. Probe that because that's the inside stuff if you will, that people want to learn about folks. Let me get just a couple of others so I don't get too long-winded and I can answer more of these questions. But the next thing, um, your dress and attire, your personal appearance. Boy, Jerry Madelon has heard this story um, because we both are blessed to be on the faculty with the NFL Broadcast Boot Camp, which uh, Troy Vincent, the Executive Vice President of Football Operations for the NFL, this was his baby that he started, I think about 13 years ago, where the NFL brings in uh, players who have applied to come to that camp. They've got to write an essay, a bunch of other questions, and they come. Most of them are in the twilight of their career. Some are retired, but they're coming to learn about the broadcast business. And in that four days, it is a boot camp where everything is thrown at them so they get a good understanding, a broad understanding of the opportunities in the media, behind the scenes where the real power and influences, producers, executive producers, directors, the whole nine yards, uh, as well as on camera, so the players can determine, do they have the skill set to be able to do that job well? Whether it's play-by-play, -play, many of them think they can just go right into the booth to be an analyst, but they get to find out something about themselves. And your dress and attire is exceedingly important because it makes a statement about you before you even open your mouth. Bosses, potential employers, even for intern positions, the person doing the hiring is going to size you up. How are you dressed? How are you groomed? Are you neatly attired or is it outlandish attire? And that's going to give them an impression about you. And you've heard the expression before that you rarely get a second chance to make a first impression. As a matter of fact, you probably never do that. So your dress and attire is important to show that you're properly prepared. That's one of the reasons I'm probably sweating so much is because I was told many years ago to be, um, I, yes, I've got an open collar dress shirt and a suit coat on and uh, it's hot as a dickens. But I learned a lesson when I went to... Um, IBM for an interview after I had been cut by the Atlanta Hawks. I went to IBM for an interview. Nobody told me how I was supposed to be dressed. I didn't do enough homework to find out what that environment was like. Hey folks, I went over to IBM. I had this big four foot afro. Yeah, Jerry, here it comes again. I got the big thick sideburns, mutton chop sideburns. I had a velvet blue bow tie on, a Bama bow tie. Had a blue shirt on, plaid blue suit, Thick stack heel shoes. I looked a mess. And the boss is looking at my resume and he says, James Brown, Harvard University, captain of the basketball team, Harvard speakers for him. And he came out in the office and he saw me and he looked at his assistant and said, well, where is James Brown? Said, oh, my gosh. He pulled me back into his office and he read me the riot act. And he said, if it hadn't been for this big time alum who sent you over here for the interview, I would have gone through an obligatory interview and bounced you out of here in about five or ten minutes. I had the nerve to ask him why. He said, why? Look at you. Don't you understand that our environment is neat, conservative attire, and you represent us? So it's important to make certain that your dress and attire certainly speaks to it as well. So those are a couple of things. It's a given that you're going to work hard and be well prepared, do your studying, your homework, and all of that. But you want people to look at you and see that you understand what's important in a work environment to give you that opportunity to share 
what you know on the inside because many people get bounced out of the equation simply because they weren't neatly attired. Now, with my receding hairline, which is a subject of so much criticism on Twitter and the like, hey, you know what? Obviously, I've got the teeny weeny afro now, uh, but I still keep in mind all of those points as well. The next question that was asked is, why aren't more companies hiring interns from the high school level? You know what? Um, there are others who are probably better suited at answering that, but I would think this is... Uh, at least an intelligent guess as to why. However, before I give that, I would not discourage you, even if you're in high school and you've got some contacts at the local television station level, be it cable, be it um, access, you know, local cable access, wherever you can get that opportunity, go for it. If you've got a relationship with somebody who is in the business, Pick their brains, spend some time talking with them as well so as to learn. But typically, most colleges, um, <laughs> I'm laughing because Jerry Madelon says my hair is called half a fro right now. That's pretty good. I'm going to have to use that one, half a fro. But even if you're in high school, don't let that stop you from being aggressive, um, uh, creative and pursuing opportunities with people you know so that when you get to the college level, typically businesses, media companies will have an intern brought on board when they're between their junior year and their senior year. They've got a little bit of seasoning. They're coming to get some hands-on experience, a first-hand look at what the, what the environment is like that will serve them well. So that's why it's typically at the collegiate level. But I would encourage you at the high school level, if you've got any contacts, people that you know, show that hustle, show that aggressiveness, ask questions. And in today's environment with Twitter, with Instagram, with so much that you can do on your own, with podcasts and the like, you can start to get some opportunities to shape yourself now. Um, the next question was asking, and I, I love the very progressive uh, and aggressive attitude asking, uh, do I currently have any positions for interns? And uh, I don't because you know what? Uh, I work at the network level, so I'm traveling around the country quite a bit. Um, the biggest help that I have right now is with uh, an executive or personal assistant. Um, many of you might know the, the lady with whom I was blessed to work for 22 years. Uh, Elizabeth Malia, who then got married, Elizabeth Malia Calhoun, uh, for 22 years. And I really grew to count on her as kind of a, an associate producer, uh, if you will. And when I'm working uh, at CBS with the producers there or in CBS News with my colleague Alvin Patrick, um, Elizabeth was another assistant who helped tremendously in all that we were pursuing. And now uh, my niece, um, has blessed me to work with me because Elizabeth uh, passed away uh, about a year and a couple months ago, and uh, that was very, very tough. Uh, my niece interned for Elizabeth, um, Ashley uh, Johnson, who um, worked for several years in Chicago with a major global media firm, ad firm, and then she came back to D.C. as she was going to pursue some opportunities here, and it happened to be right around the time that my assistant, um, underwent emergency uh, stomach surgery and uh, passed away from the complications of such. Um, my assistant, Ashley, was a, is a UVA grad. She went to Stone Ridge High School here in uh, the Washington, D.C., Bethesda, Maryland area. And then she went to UVA and is a, a graduated with honors. So she's been an incredible um, blessing to me. Wow, I was trying to think because Ernie had some great visual aids. And if I get a chance to do this again, I'll, I promise I'll have some visual aids to assist because one of the questions that I just saw scroll by is um, how do I go about preparing for a play-by-play -play assignment? By the way, I miss doing that. That was fun. I love what I'm doing in the studio. I think I'm well-suited for that because my attitude, my mantra is in lowliness of mind, esteem others more highly than yourself. I know so many people will try to find a way to stand out themselves. Boy, I go back to what Ernie Johnson said. The best way to stand out yourself is to be excellent at what you do, preparing for broadcast. Here's a headline under that particular question that you want to keep in mind. And I got this from John Madden, the Hall of Fame uh, football coach and um, a broadcaster. 
and uh, he and Pat Summerall, God bless him, they were, I consider to be one of the, if not the all-time best at it. John Madden and Pat Summerall, when preparing for a football game, they would meet with the home team on Friday, the visiting team, they would meet with them on Saturday. And here was John's aim, as indicated by the title, is your bucket full? The bucket denotes the information that you wanted to have as a result of all the studying that you were doing, whether it was watching video of each of the teams to understand what their tendencies are, their strengths, their weaknesses, the coaching style or philosophy that the coach was looking to implement by way of his players on the field, any background information on the, a player and or team, all of that. So you get to ask your questions of players that you, the, uh, the group, the announced team, has asked the home team and the visiting team for to glean as much information as you can. And before John Madden signaled that the session was over, he would turn to all of his colleagues and he would ask, is your bucket full? Because you have no way of knowing how the game is going to turn out. The best thing, the best scenario is if you don't need a lot of information in your bucket, because as John Madden also said, the game is the thing. That's the focal point. John's wording was, the game is the thing. The game is what you want ultimately to be like Evans, the Kansas City Chiefs in their AFC Championship run and in their Super Bowl win. I mean, wow, Fox had it superbly. That's the best that you can hope for is a competitive game with some outstanding young talent that have Hall of Fame credentials uh, potential if they continue to go along this way in a sustained fashion. That's the best. But if the game is a blowout, then you need to have enough information in your bucket to be able to share with the viewing audience that is still fun. John Madden, you know, loved getting the atypical shots of big linemen, the hogs down there in the trenches. And, you know, they come up with uh, a patch of dirt and grass in their helmet. You know, he loved focusing on that to give those guys some credit because those guys in the trenches, they are there playing every snap, 62 snaps a game or whatever the number is. They are there. Give them some credit because... As the expression goes, it is a team game and every joint supplies. Everybody brings a gift to the table for the success of the team, which is why Bill Belichick's favorite expression is, do your job. So that's how you go about preparing for play-by-play. -play. I have to share this. I know so many people have heard me tell this story, especially at the broadcast boot camp where I have been um, so, um, so blessed to have had a number of experiences. But when my boss, Ted Shaker, was telling me, JB, you need to prepare to make sure that you can do a range of jobs. All those that I've mentioned already, play-by-play, -play, host, sideline reporter, um, you name it. And when I did that, uh, I felt like I was prepared. So he says, we're going to give you a football game to do because I didn't play football. And I studied all offseason, went to meet with Bobby Mitchell, the Hall of Famer with Washington, uh, Tony Dungy, with the, who was when he was with uh, Minnesota. I would get a lot of uh, insight from guys like that. Uh, John Robinson, the football coach with whom I worked. I took time to pick the brains of everybody who played the game and respects the game so as to be prepared for my play-by-play. -play. So here's my, first, here's my first game. It was the Tampa Bay Buccaneers in Tampa. Hosting, wow, that's going to be a real big story now with Tom Brady there, right? Tampa Bay hosting the Atlanta Falcons. And my boss has said, JB, just call a clean game. Focus on the fundamentals. Don't try to get cute. I go through the first half. You know what? I'm thinking, God, football's not that difficult. Ah, I see now pride and ego slips in. And we all know that pride cometh before the fall when you get complacent thinking that you're resting on some laurels and you have it down, never do that. There's an expression that says, um, be careful how you stand lest you fall. So I got cocky. We go into the third quarter. And um, so we come back to the third quarter. And I said, as we get ready for it, uh, Steve DeBerg is the quarterback. He goes up in the center. He takes the snap. Here's the delayed handoff to James Wilder, the running back. He's at the 40. He's at the 45. He's got daylight. He's at the 55. He's at the 60-yard line. Tackled at the 60-yard line. My producer gets in my ear. He hits the key. He says, JB, there's no such thing as a 60-yard line. Go to commercial. Well, I was told by the producer during the course of the game, the stadium clock with the timing could be wrong. 
So look at the TV monitor. It will always have the right time. I was so shook up because my producer, I don't know, I think it was Bob Monsbach of CBS, then he says, JB, go to commercial. I got shook up. I looked at the stadium clock and I said, we're going to step aside and take a quick timeout with about eight minutes and 99 seconds left in the third period of play. We go to commercial. Boy, I compounded the mistake. Not only was a player tackled on the 65-yard line, then I say eight minutes and 99 seconds left in the third period of play. My partner then, Big Dan Jiggins, we went to college together. He played football up at Harvard. He covered for me when we came back from commercial break. He said, for those of you who heard JB say there were eight minutes and 99 seconds left in the third period of play, he just wanted to see if you could do the mathematical conversion to realize he meant to say there were nine minutes and 39 seconds left in the third period of play. And one of the questions that just went by was one of the biggest mistakes that I made. That was one of the biggest, if not the biggest mistake that I made. And I learned a painful lesson to never get cocky or com uh, complacent, uh, never to let ego in it. You stay focused and on top of the job. And from that, I stayed uh, mentally attuned and alert throughout the game, not only to my broadcast posture partner to make sure I'm setting him up properly and giving him plenty of space to be able to talk, but also to make certain that I do my homework well. And I, how do you manage... Um, you're at level so you don't get too high early in the game. Good question. You know what? If you're doing play-by-play, -play, it's a matter of just going with the flow. Typically, the, um, the flow is, obviously, you're setting the stage. Al Michaels does it on um, Sunday Night Football. The incomparable Jim Nance and Tony Romo for, you know, for us at CBS, they do the same thing. But every play-by-play -play person, and there are excellent ones out there, Mike Tirico, um, Joe Buck, at, at Fox, there, there, there are some superb ones out there. Tariko, I think, is just a terrific talent uh, as well, but and, and a wide, um, a very versatile one as well too. But the point is to let the game come to you. Sounds very simplistic, but it's real. The early part of the game, you're setting the stage, you're setting the table for the viewers, giving the players, viewers, um, you know, the, uh, the 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 graphics folks will be bringing up who the players are, what positions they play. Typically, you take, you pick out one or two players who are key. If it's an offensive lineman or a defensive lineman, the quarterback, the running back, you know, the key people that you want to be watching for, but understanding that it is a team game because they all work in unison. So letting the game come to you, setting the stage, giving it time to breathe, letting your uh, analyst have an opportunity to speak with what he's learned on all of that. So that's what's important. The game itself, as it gets tight uh, and exciting, let your voice show that. Kevin Harlan of CBS is one of the best. Gus Johnson over at Fox, two of the best at showing the excitement that the game naturally is a good game. And somebody's asking me, how do I consider Joe Buck a superior talent? I know firsthand. I work with Joe. Joe is superb. He's masterful at baseball. He's also good at letting the game come to you in football. He sets his partner up. You know, I know in this business, there are, hey, look, and let me be clear. I know there are a lot of people who probably aren't, um, <laughs> who aren't necessarily big fans of mine. I get that. Everybody has their favorite. But let me be clear. Joe Buck is superior. He's a good guy, number one. And that's really important because you want to work with good people. He's, um, he's what's the word I'm looking for? He's participatory. He shares in the broadcast. The same thing that Jim Nance does in giving a superior talent like Tony Romo room to do his thing and not taking offense at it that Tony Romo comes on to the scene as a major star in the making and giving him his room because as the expression goes, a rising tide lifts all ships. So you play to the strengths. I know when I was doing play-by-play, -play, certainly as I've been blessed for all of these years, and I'm very humble for the opportunity to continue to do, and I pray at a successful level, sustained success, given the opportunity to work with my colleagues, whether it's at inside the NFL um, with uh, Phil Sims and Ray Lewis and Brandon Marshall and Michael Irvin, um, you know, uh, uh, Stephen, uh, Stephen Smith Sr., all of those folks, and certainly at... Uh, the NFL today with Boomer Esiason, with Nate Burleson, with Coach Bill Cowher and Phil Sims and Jason Locken Four. My aim is to understand what the strengths and weaknesses of my guys are and play to them. 
whatever their weaknesses are, I minimize that. I don't put them in the position that they should not be put in. I learn a lot from them, but my job is to make them look good by playing to their strengths. And if I do that, then we all are successful in that. So that's how I prepare, and that's my aim, and that's my philosophy. That's my focus when I'm doing those things is to do it so they look good. Now, I don't think uh, Jimmy Johnson of Fox would um, would be upset with me uh, for, for for saying this. Is when we, Jimmy Johnson, he gets up at the crack of dawn. He's two hours ahead of time for any appointment. I don't know anybody who is more ahead of time than Jimmy Johnson. Um, and and But now by the, by the time that the late slate of games are coming on in the afternoon, my guy Jimmy, and I say this lovingly because I pushed hard, you know, didn't have to actually exercise it, but I couldn't believe that it took Jimmy this long to get into the Hall of Fame. People, Some people might say, well, there wasn't the longevity. There wasn't the, uh, the sample size of a long period of time. Hey, you know what? Uh, there's... There's not a set criteria. What Jimmy Johnson did in a very short period of time in turning that Dallas Cowboy franchise around with an astute mind for personnel. I remember doing an all-star game. Um, it was a put-together all-star game by an ex-Pittsburgh Steeler. There might have been 300 people in the stands. And I'm exaggerating, but I'm making a point. 150 of those people back in the days when Jimmy just took over in Dallas were Dallas Cowboys scouts and player personnel folks. Jimmy had him there. He left no stone unturned when he was looking for talent. And what he did there, winning two consecutive Super Bowls, Barry Switzer basically said that third championship, that was Jimmy's team, and he got it done. That had not been done before. That was unique in and of itself and merited him going into the Hall of Fame. I'm so happy for him. And the same with my guy, Bill Cower, who the last public appearance I'm aware of that Mr. Dan Rooney made was in New York to receive an award, but he was there also because Bill Cower was in New York. And I remember one of the last things that Mr. Rooney said, because not too long after that, he passed away. He said that he called him Billy. I call him Coach Cower or Bill Cower. He said, Billy belongs in the Hall of Fame. What, 15 years in Pittsburgh, eight times division champ, two times conference champion, two times Super Bowl appearances, and he won one. His record, and when you dig inside of the stats, which is what Red Auerbach taught me way back in the day, stats on the surface are okay, but I guess many people dealing with what they call analytics now. Get inside of the numbers. When do these things occur? How significant was to the outcome of the game? You know, is this, does this also reflect that a person has a mentality that when the game is on the line, they step up bigger? And that's what Bill Coward did. He didn't have stellar quarterbacks with him all the way and got it done. So I'm very happy that to see both Bill Cower and Jimmy Johnson get in. And boy, were they emotional when uh, Big Dave Baker from uh, the Pro Football Hall of Fame came there to announce it on live TV. That was, um, those were some of the biggest moments uh, for me in television were to see those guys. I thought they were going to have to call the EMTs for Jimmy Johnson because he couldn't even talk. Bill Cower was just biting his bottom lip and the chin was sticking out because he was trying to keep from being emotional. But you know what? I digress. I don't even know what the question was now, but I think I was back on the point about preparing to make certain that my colleagues look good. It is always about the colleagues. If you focus on them, again, my mantra, in lowliness of mind, esteem others more highly than yourself in your preparation and it'll be good. Somebody asked me on the screen, how do I go about preparing for a show each week? There's so much on TV throughout the week. The game, every aspect has been covered in doing that. <laughs> Somebody just sent a note that said, it's always about making Boomer Esiason look good. No, Boomer makes himself look good. When he, when he steps out of the dressing room, he says, JB, remember, it's all about this, meaning his face. Just give me the airtime. But Boomer loves the game. He's passionate about it as well, too. Um, God, I forgot. Once again, because I digress there, what was I? Um, I'll, I'll just have to look at the next question because I forgot what I was starting to say about uh, preparing um, for the broadcast and doing my job. Oh, during the course of the week. So what do I do during the week? Well, clearly there there are shows all week long. Hey, look, what my guy and colleague Nate Burleson and the talented group he works with, Kay Adams and uh, Peter Schrager and uh, Kyle Grant over, uh, Kyle, what's Kyle's last name? Well, Kyle's going to smack me. Oh my gosh, this is going to come back to haunt me. Um, 
Oh, Kyle, please forgive me. Charge it to my age and, you know, not my heart in that regard. But they do such a great job over there uh, and they make it fun. But there are all kinds of shows. Talk radio is everywhere. Kyle Brandt. Thank you for the help there. That might have been Kyle who said to me, but I know it wasn't. Thank you very much for that. But they do such a wonderful job. So it's important to stay abreast of everything that's happening in the sport. Major items as well as side sidebar stories, if you will. Because in today's game, there is much of an intersection of what's happening on the field as there is off the field. In as much as what happens off the field impacts the player on the field. Um, and then I try to spend time talking to my producer, uh, Drew Kaliski, who is just, I call him a gym rat. He is passionate about the sport and his guys. And he's willing to toss out the format if, in fact, listening to his guys, he does a great job of listening, it requires changing the format. Um, so that's what I would, um, that, that's, that's what I really respect about Drew. And I'll spend time talking to Bill Cowher. And I'll spend time talking to um, Phil Sims. Boomer has his TV job, TV slash radio, uh, the same as Nate. They're on it non nonstop. And certainly I'll pick their brains in the meetings that we have. But during the course of the week, those are some of my go-to guys who I'll chat with to make sure I'm on top of it as well, too. Hey, on Inside the NFL, Pete Radovich is one of the most um, amazing, creative talents I've worked with as well, too, in the way he shapes the show. He considers himself a fan, but he understands TV uh, exceedingly well, so that's what he does, and he does do that. Drew Kaliski, he is, he is mired in the weeds to understand the sport, so you can talk with him about anything. Hey, somebody just asked me a question, and I know um, that um, people ask Ernie the same question as well, too. Uh, and this is just, you know, me personally, and I have no problems in running away from any kind of question that you want to ask me. So that's my preface. But the person asked me, do I pray before I go on the air? Absolutely. All the time. That's who I am. I make no bones about it. You know, my attitude is that if I'm looking to do my job excellently, because I do pray and that's just who I am, that my bosses, Sean McManus, um, David uh, Burson, and Harold Bryant, they can't help but be pleased because I'm aiming to at least meet the mark, most often to exceed the mark in terms of being excellent at what I do. And I'm sure people can quibble with that. I understand and I certainly respect that. But I do the best that I can because I want my colleagues to look good. It is really all about them and not about me. Okay, what's the next question here? There was one asking me about um, do I still enjoy what I'm doing? Yes, indeed. As a matter of fact, John Madden made the comment. You can see John Madden had a tremendous influence on me because when I broke into uh, doing football, uh, John Madden was, uh, was with us when I was at CBS the first time. And then when CBS lost the NFC package or Maybe better put that the Fox won the NFC package. Uh, I was blessed to go over to Fox to co-host the Fox NFL Sunday show with Terry Bradshaw, Howie Long, and Jimmy Johnson at that point in time, and John Madden and Pat Summerall were there. But John's point was, and you can even look at it in terms of how when he stepped away, um, how he interacted with professionals that has changed your career. I'll see when that question comes back up again. But John Madden always says, the moment you start thinking that, you know, either the game is getting to be tiring for you, the love of the sport, which which includes the traveling and the preparation. Um, and he also was counseling some players that if you start thinking about retiring, then you've already retired. I love what I'm doing and I want to continue to do that for as long as I'm able to and see what the next phase brings about. What would you say are the fundamentals of sports reporting? Wow. You know what? This is where we have... and. I can give you what my experiences have been, but there are others who've been at this um, a lot longer than me and who've specialized in that. I think about Annie Hoffman, um, who has, uh, gosh, I forget the name of her company, and I should do better with that, and Jerry Madelon, who um, has a Madelon Media, M-A-T-A-L-O-N, Madelon Media, Annie Hoffman, and I think hers is something like Sports Stars, uh, but you can look it up. She's married to the iconic a uh, gentleman, Bob Goodrich, who was a big name over at ABC Sports, they can drill down on the particulars. But in terms of sports reporting, say if it's sideline reporting, which I did, 
you have maybe 45 seconds to a minute 10, minute 15 to tell a good story. Um, and you've got to make it interesting. You've got to be succinct. You've got to paint a great word picture. Yes, I know you're on TV and a producer and director, especially, we've got a great one in, in, in uh, Bob Matina uh, at CBS. They will embellish your story with the pictures. Tracy Wolfson is one of the absolute best at it. She does a superb job um, uh, in doing that. So once they know what the story is, they can augment your storytelling with the pictures. We are in a visual medium, but again, keeping in mind that you only have a short period of time. You've got to be alert. You've got to be attuned, but also stories are developing as the game goes on. So that speaks to you being acutely aware of the game circumstances and conditions so that you can react because you're the eyes and ears for the people at home who can't see what you're seeing. And especially if your report has a material impact on the game itself, if, if it uh, is a player who might be injured, a key player or a role player that we don't know much about, that sideline reporter can embellish that. And the same thing in terms of being a reporter, even at a local TV station or at the network period. I'm blessed to do that in addition with uh, CBS News. So it's important for me to be well-read. I remember Seth Davis talking about that. Read, read, read. Have a voracious appetite for what's going on in the world around you. Not just sports, but the world around you because so much of it does impact the life, the motivation or lack thereof of a player if he or she is going through some challenges. So it's important. It's also important for a reporter to stay abreast and have a finger on the pulse of what's going on around the world because you never know who you're going to be called to interview. And the better and more well-rounded you are to be able to talk about other things, not just superficially, but you've got some degree of depth of understanding, it makes you that much more interesting and it makes the interviewee feel, wow, I've got somebody here who knows a little something. Nate Burleson was sharing when the red carpet show that he was doing on uh, NFL Network. I forget the superstar that he was. I think it was it, it was somebody like Adele. It was a big singer, and Nate had done his homework. So not only could he talk sports, because oftentimes you'll oftentimes you'll find that superstars, say in the acting arena, they're huge sports fans anyway. And they will relish the opportunity to engage in conversation with you. But if you can sprinkle some understanding that's a little bit more than just a shallow understanding of what they do in your mind, what they're thinking, the real deal, check mark, the real deal. We can have a conversation because you can go a little deeper. So it's it pays to be well-rounded, well-informed. Again, our job is to report. But there are some shows that you may get on where you may be asked your opinion about those things as well, too. So it pays to be well-rounded. And I'm very thankful that, again, my boss, Sean McManus, has allowed me to um, showcase, um, not showcase, but to have as an outlet, if you will, my interest in things in addition to sports as well. Um, and, and to add a meaningful, typically because of the person that I am, something and an opinion that speaks to those things that are more unifying than divisive. So, okay, what's the next question? I guess I better keep track. I think we've got about another five to 10 minutes. I was expecting Ernie Johnson when he first asked me, I was hoping that he would um, be the one moderating and asking me questions. Uh, but anyway, how do you get through writer's block or fighting through the fear in your beginning, the day's reporting? Then there's a question about the Buffalo Bills and talk about preparation like breathing and stretching your vocal cords. Okay, breathing and stretching my vocal cords. That's akin to what players do when they're preparing for a game. Uh, whether you're watching a WNBA game or whether you're watching an NFL game, you see them out on the field going through the or the Olympics. Hey, I actually cover gymnastics. Don't let me forget this. I want to come back to it because Jerry was telling me the stories are good. I'm doing a gymnastics event many years ago with Mary Lou Retton. Thank God it was being recorded um, for air later because I thought I had done my homework in preparing for gymnastics, all the floor events, the whole nine yards. And I had the nerve to ask her when I saw, what was it, the balance beam? Um, I was asking her, well, wait a minute. I, I see the women uh, preparing for the balance beam. Uh, how come the boys, the men, don't do the balance beam? 
And she didn't answer the question. She took a pregnant pause, hoping that I would figure out why. And after about 10 seconds, I said, oh, okay. Thank God I'm too dark to blush. But then I figured out why the men don't do the balance beam. So it's really fun in terms of doing all of those sports. Now, I did ask you to help me remember what it was that I was going to say, but I forgot what the other question was. But I wanted to tell this story about Mary Lou Retton because she was just wonderful working with me. And you know what? If you show an, an, an attitude, uh, a hunger, and a desire to learn about their sport so as to put them in the best possible light, and I've done women's gymnastics, I've done figure skating, both male and female, you know, I've done the range of things, and maybe this answers one of the questions that, I was, that was being asked about how do you prepare to move into this business. I remember, again, in a conversation that I had with Ted Shaker, that executive producer for CBS Sports, um, when I was at CBS the first time around, he was telling me the more sports that I could do, the better. And um, <laughs> everybody's helping out to prepare your voice. Oh, thank you very much. But Ted Shaker was telling me how important it was to be well-rounded. So let me come back to that so that I can make sure that I answer this question. Thank you for the help. I didn't see who actually sent that in. But how do I prepare my voice? Um, in, in getting ready to do a studio show or broadcast. Just like the athletes who are working out and stretching out on the field to get their bodies loose and limber for whatever it is they're going to do, it's the same with us in broadcasting. Max Robinson, God bless him, uh, was a big-time newscaster here in Washington, D.C. when I broke in with uh, WUSA-TV here in Washington. And he was telling me what he did was he would go in the audio booth and close the door and... Um, he would scream to the top of his voice to get the vocal cords loose. I mean, an outright yell. I've shocked some of my colleagues when I've done it out in an open setting when I get their big scream in. Scream in. Then I will also stretch my vocal cords on my, my uh, mouth, my jaw, my tongue. I will go and over-articulate things, actually exaggerating those things because it does help. When you get into a sequence of announcing something and you need to talk quickly, you want to be loose and limber. So that also works. Speaking from the core is also important, recognizing that you're talking from your core as well. But over-articulating helps. One of the other exercises that helped me to loosen up is acting like um, Satchmo or a Dizzy Gillespie. I would... <laughs> Get my jaws out like this, and I start talking with the air in my jaws. That would help me as well, too. Now, I can't imagine how ugly that looked, um, and I can't believe I'm doing this on Twitter, but that does help when I get my jaws. Now, the grandkids, they love it, and they love to come over and pop my jaws so that I can um, exhale that way, but it does help. So whatever works for you. I know Arthur Joseph, uh, one of the best uh, voice coaches, if you will, you know, he would have crazy exercises where he would put his two fingers, uh, and I got, you know, this day of um, being careful, I need to go wash my hands, but he would take his two fingers and put them just inside of his um, bottom row of teeth and his tongue. So whatever works to help you loosen up, that's what you do, no matter how stupid it looks, no matter how crazy you may feel. If it works for you in preparing, Heavens, when I first broke into the business, I used to take a slice of lemon and it would help me to, you know, it was kind of tart, but it helped me to articulate and prepare so that when you get into those exciting moments, you can do that very, very well. There was another story that I was going to tell as well. Too. Oh, doing the varied sports um, that was recommended to me by Ted Shaker. One of the things I wanted to make sure of um, is that I was not marginalized or colonize, if you will, to um, just a certain grouping of sports. I wanted to make sure that if I was called on to do any sport, I can do it. I did rock climbing. I did a Tour de France, or Tour de France, if you will, meaning I reported on it. I'd be in much better shape if I was actually participating. I've done um, water polo. I've done aerial skiing. I've done triathlons, the London triathlon. Um, I've done the Tour de Pont here in the States where I got a chance to meet some great people uh, like Greg Lamond uh, and the rest. Just some wonderful, wonderful people. So all of that helps in terms of 
broadening your horizons. And when you get called on, you can go do anything. Vern Lundquist, Uncle Vern from CBS, and um, a gentleman with whom I worked, Frank Gleber, many years ago, an excellent announcer at CBS who passed away. They were the ones who was telling me um, with respect to doing a wide range of sports, never say no, do your homework, and go out and do a fundamentally sound job. And Vern Lundquist was exceedingly helpful to me in that regard. And one of the reasons why he is so iconic, he never made it about himself. He always set his partner up. And as a matter of fact, I was going to do an NBA game. It was the Portland Trail Blazers uh, in Portland. I forget who they were going to play. And uh, unfortunately, God bless him, uh, Frank Lieber, the play-by-play, -play, I was doing color then, passed away. And Vern um, got called uh, I think he was on vacation. I'm not even sure where he was. He could have been in Hawaii and he flew in and was ready on the spot to do the job as play by play. And we worked seamlessly. So the point is to be prepared for all situations. Hey, years ago when somebody asked me, um, <laughs> how do you prepare for a situation or handle a situation when there's a teleprompter malfunction? I don't know if that was one of my colleagues at Fox from our debut broadcast of Fox NFL Sunday. Um, I know Howie Long was sitting next to me when that happened. Um, you know, that, that was the first day hey, we were getting all the kinks ironed out for our first broadcast of uh, Fox NFL Sunday. And halfway through the show, um, I'm looking at the teleprompter as we come back from commercial and the teleprompter is rolling backwards. Ernie, I wish Ernie Johnson were here to see if he's had that experience before, uh, or Brian Anderson or any of the guys. I think Steve Levy is coming up and S -Van P, uh, SVP, Scott Van Pelt, they're going to be on the show as well. Ask them about that. The teleprompter rolled backwards. Um, and I'm looking at the teleprompter. Howie Long is sitting next to me and he looks at me. He looks at the teleprompter and it went backwards for about 10 to 15 seconds. That's more than an eternity in television. I learned in local television, having had that experience happen to me, to always keep my prompter copy, my right there. So if the teleprompter goes down, yes, I might be looking down a bit more. I'll take a glance at what the next few words are. Then I'll look back at the, uh, at the TV camera to make sure I've got that eye contact that Jerry Madelon was telling me about earlier, JB, maintain the eye contact. But you keep your script there with you. That's critically important. So that's how I was able to weather the malfunction of the teleprompter before we went to whatever the video that I was leading to. So yes, I've had that happen. I've had so many things happen. And, and I watched actually a local weatherman, Paul Anthony, uh, here in the Washington, D.C. area. Big time name uh, with public TV as well. Great voiceover guy. He was doing weather for WUSA TV on the weekends. And I remember he walked over to the weather board and he forgot his clicker to go to the next weather graphic. And when he did it, I'm looking at him because I'm doing sports and I'm thinking, wow, what, um, what, what's he gonna do now? He handled it perfectly. He said he was honest. Hey folks out there in TV land, I forgot my clicker, so do me a favor. Talk amongst yourselves while I go get my clicker and I'll be right back. And the reason that was so, so genius is because people watching you, they're going to feel what you're feeling. If you're excited, they're going to be excited. If you're not excited, then they're looking at me and this is kind of boring. But if he left his, um, his little clicker, you know, they're thinking, what's he going to do? How is he going to handle this? And he handled it as seamlessly, as comfortably, as honestly as anyone could. And it worked well. He walked over, got his prompter, and he came back and did that. So anyway, that's um, how you handle malfunctions in the business. I'll never forget. Uh, let me make sure that this is all good here. Um, I remember doing a game. Um, it was before, actually, it was Georgetown playing Villanova in the NCAA Final Four in the championship game. And I was working with a local crew. And... Uh, you know, we didn't have our signals together when I was supposed to go live when they were throwing it back to me. So I'm standing there waiting to go live at the end of the show and they haven't given me a, a, a cue at all. And um, how do I word this? I, I had a little debris in my nostril and I went to remove the debris and 
Meanwhile, I had been on the air for 10 seconds and nobody told me there was nothing that I could do other than to say, hi there, how are you? Well, let's get to the results of this game between Georgetown and Villanova. So the point is those things can happen, but you just have to roll with the punch. All right, I know I've gone a little bit over time, but I wanted to see if I could get a couple more questions answered before we head out since I think I forgot a few and had to come back to them. Um, let's see, I can't quite read that one. Well, you know what, let me go ahead and wrap up. If Ernie Johnson decides to have me again, then certainly uh, I'll look forward to sharing more with you. But I pray and hope that there was something uh, meaningful in all of that. Uh, advice to a high schooler, uh, great nuggets, thanks for sharing. Um, Here's what I would say in terms of advice to a high schooler. And it probably goes back similarly to what Seth Davis was saying. If you're in high school, be the best student that you can be right then. Be well-rounded. Be excellent in all of your courses. Because the one thing that anybody looking to hire somebody or critiquing you will do is they'll go back and look at your past to see what kind of person were you. Were you involved in extracurricular activities? We're in a very personable medium. Uh, what kind of student were you? Were you one that went and asked questions after class so that you could sharpen up in that area? And if there was an area of weakness, were you showing the stick to the go get em kind of attitude so that you could improve in that area? Jimmy Johnson, let me use an athletic example to make the point about no matter what level you're at, it's all about preparing to be the best that you can right then. And that's the foundation upon which you build success. People will look to see, is that foundation there from the past? Jimmy Johnson, when he was doing his homework, looking at Emmett Smith, he kept asking, you know, well, wait a minute, this guy doesn't seem to be that fast. And but yet he's he's winning. So he went back to his high school level to see Emmett Smith was a winner in high school. He went back to middle school. He went back to Pop Warner football. Emmett Smith had a track record of being successful. Yeah, I know you hear the age old worn out expression. You can't measure someone's heart by looking at them, but you can with what they've done and how they got it done on the field. Emmett Smith was a winner everywhere he played. And now that he's a Hall of Famer, you know, records galore to his credit, guess what? His second act and what he's doing now as a phenomenally successful businessman, Roger Stallback helped to give him, uh, if you will, the opportunity to apprentice with him and learn all about it. Emmett has taken off. Emmett continues to be a winner in everything that he undertakes. And that's what people want to see when they go to look back at your past. Because as they look at what you've done in the past, that will be a predictor of what you're likely to do in the future. Make certain that that which they look at in terms of your past represents, reflects a serious and disciplined attitude and accomplishment and overcoming difficulties. When we were talking about fundamentals earlier uh, to be successful, I didn't go through all seven of the items that I typically talk about, communication skills, your, your dress and attire, uh, interpersonal skills, working well with the group, because we're in a very diverse environment these days, and you better learn that everybody's given a talent, so use that to the advantage. Um, uh, promptness, being on time, which makes a statement about yourself, your hunger and intellectual thirst to continue to grow in all that you're doing, um, overcoming adversity, that is significant. If the philosophy that you internalize is working for you, it'll work for you throughout every circumstance. There's another circumstance. Oh, well, this is you know more from my ministerial days, but it's a biblical uh, a principle that makes sense. All things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. So the point being, even in difficult circumstances, if you're standing on the right foundation, you will do exceedingly well no matter what, even through difficulties, because that's when you really show what you're doing. And you know what? You can then have fun. Because my friend Jerry Madeline says, and keep in mind, Jerry critiqued ESPN talent and sat down to work with people in terms of how they present themselves on camera, sharpening their presentation skills. 
Likeability is number one. People will say, yeah, you know what? You can't really be a jerk in this business and do well because people at the end of the day want to like you. As I've shared with Jerry when we've had many of our conversations, I said it is all about relationships. Everything. All things being equal in the sales environment, in the marketing environment, or whatever. All things being equal, people will want to be with that person that they like. It is about relationship. All right, I guess I've gone over time, but I wanted to make up for my two minutes of trying to figure out how to get online. Thinking, you know what? Ashley had to send me a note. Uncle James, you're talking about you don't hear anything. You haven't said anything yet. Everybody does hear you. So your guy is still working in mastering social media, Twitter. The first time I heard about Twitter and the people at CBS were saying, you're going to have to learn how to tweet. I went out and bought about a dozen pigeons, thinking that all I had to do was write a little note on a piece of paper, put it up under the pigeon's claws, and he would take it wherever. Boy, was I wrong. But thank you so very much for being patient. And I trust and hope and pray that there was something substantive that helped you today. Thank you so very much. Hey, stay safe. Let's be obedient to the public health officials and our leaders as we operate in this crazy uh, coronavirus environment right now. Um, hey, look, I wouldn't be showing love if I didn't say, please care for other people. Be prayed up. Show love. Stay connected with somebody who you know may be by themselves because it is, as I said before, about relationships. God bless you. Thank you for tuning into this episode of VJ's Game Plan. For more information on today's guest and breaking into the sports media industry, go to our website, www.ejsgameplan.com. Tune in every week to hear from more guests on their experience in the media industry. EJ's Game Plan is brought to you by Ernie Johnson Jr., the University of Georgia's new media institute and Grady Sports.